All right, welcome folks to Passing Period, which is an all of the above podcast extra. Of course, we drop these in between our full episodes. And although you are listening to this, uh, be sure to head over to our YouTube channel because um, not only we have our beautiful faces there, but we also have a lot of video extras um, that you might not be catching through the podcast. But Passing Period is just for you podcast purists. Jeff, we had a story for our Do Now that we came across at a time that we could not include it in our last full episode, um, but it's a very, very, very important and timely story. Um, what do we got? Yeah, so it, it is important and timely, mm-hmm. and one of those stories where you read it and you think, like, it can't possibly still be this bad, is it? Right? Right. Like, we've, we've got to be doing better than this, right? Right. And yet we're not, right? So uh, this story comes from the Los Angeles Times, and um, the story is reporting on a major national survey uh, that's conducted by the Association of American Universities, which is made up of a collection of 62 of the leading universities across the nation. So these are big colleges, Stanford, UCLA, or Stanford, USC, uh, you know, popular, high-profile schools you're aware of. Um, that surveyed over 180,000 students and found some pretty troubling things. Most notably, one in four female undergraduates at leading campuses across the country say they have been sexually assaulted by force or because they were passed out, asleep, or incapacitated by alcohol or drugs and unable to consent, according to the results of this survey released just recently in mid-October. Uh, Now, to break out that data a little bit more, we see that undergraduate women reported the highest prevalence of sexual assault at a rate of about 26%, uh, 25.9%. That's compared with 9.7% of female graduate or professional students, 6.8% for undergraduate men, and then, of course, uh, 22.8% for transgender, queer, and non-binary students or students who did not report a gender. Uh, Now, Manuel, I think it's not surprising on a certain level that, uh, you know, there are are troubling levels of sexual assault present on college campuses, right? Like this this we know. Um, But I, I don't know. I think they're somewhere for some reason, I think I had started to believe that things might be getting a little bit better. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Me Too movement has really uh, reshaped public consciousness around right. some of these things. Uh, maybe I just had some hope that, like, younger people are just better about certain stuff than older folks and are yeah. growing up in an era where equality between genders is something that is not a radical idea anymore. Uh, but I, when I read this, I was just like, damn, and we, we have a ton of work to do and let's be real, a ton of work to do with young men in particular. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, that's the key there. I mean, part of it is like, yeah, you get the sense that we're progressing because it's being discussed so much more. Um, but it being discussed more and it being in the news more doesn't mean that the problem itself is diminishing in any kind of way because when it comes to preparing our young men we're far from just being able to discuss not far from being able to discuss but far from the reality of discussing how are we preparing our young men before they go off to college um 
we had a story at sometime in season two about a report from, um, I think it was out of LA School Report. Um, I don't remember. Well, it's linked on our website, but um, basically looking state by state to see how consent is talked about and how sex ed is looking in each state. And it still show that very, very few states out there mandate teaching of consent. And if boys aren't being taught in high school or middle school, and if they're not being taught at home, which obviously by and large, we're not teaching our young men at home about consent, because if we were, this would have never been a problem in the first place if boys had always been being taught about this, um, then that means they're getting into college and they're getting in these dorms and it's co-ed dorms and parties and all that stuff. And they have never been instructed in a adequate way how to behave, especially in situations where you mix in alcohol, maybe drugs and whatever else. So I think that's, that's a big part of it. We talk about the Me Too movement and we talk about all these uh, Hollywood heavyweights and, and these folks in, in the corporate world and elsewhere who have been called out and, um, and addressed for their behavior. But I don't know that we have any sort of anything close to a uniform understanding of whose responsibility is it to talk to young men about this before they head off to college. Yeah. Uh, I 100% agree with that. I think we, not only do we not have agreement about whose responsibility it is, we are not, right now, it appears to be no one's responsibility because we're yeah. clearly not doing anywhere even approaching a good enough job yeah. um, at addressing these issues with our young men. And that's not to say that addressing them with, with all young people is not important. But when we look at the data, right, more than one in four young women are reporting sexual assault. Damn. Right? This is a physical assault, yeah. right? Uh, and then we look at just set, uh, just 6.8% of undergraduate men reporting an assault, right? And yeah. let's be real. A good chunk of those assaults on undergraduate men are from other <laughs> men. Other men, yeah, right? exactly. And of course, maybe there's some tiny percentage of those assaults on women that are coming from other women, but... The reality is our young men are behaving in predatory ways towards the people around them um, and uh, in, in large measure towards women. And, uh, and this is just, you know, this feels like such an entrenched problem that seems so obvious to me as though yeah. like there is a both public health response, there's a media pop culture response. Yeah. And it feels to me like in some ways both of those areas are moving forward now maybe we're not anywhere near where we need to be but right. like you know it's not the me yeah. too movement advanced to a large degree the media rhetoric yeah and there's still a lot of work to be done but like it's it's not uncommon to to hear about this issue uh in sort of popular culture right even this data we're getting is like from an association of universities that's like we have a problem we want to try to address it let's do some like public yeah. kind of policy sorts of things right but in school, we're still talking about like whether we can talk about sex with certain kids or yep. not, right? Or almost no states talk about consent at all, right? And so we're, it just feels like we're so behind the times on this when we are actually maybe the best positioned people yeah. to actually hugely impact this data, right? Like we're the ones who get boys when they're, <laughs> when they're young yeah. enough to be impressionable and they have not perpetrated yet 
right? Right. Um, and I kind of hate to use that that language, but uh, but these these statistics are startling. And I'm gonna throw in one other thing here. I want to get your take on. Mm -hmm. So that data we were talking about is super troubling about sexual assault. But right. um, if we look at uh, the rest of the picture, like claims of sexual harassment and that sort of thing, the numbers are even more stark. And in right. particular, for trans, genderqueer, and non-binary students, they reported the highest rates of sexual harassment, which in this survey is defined as behavior that includes acts with sexual connotations, that interfered with academic or professional uh, performance, that limited their participation in an academic program, or created an intimidating or hostile environment. And the rate of students who experienced both harassing behavior um, and said it created a hostile environment was 46.3% for transgender, queer, and non-binary students, right? 31% for undergraduate women, right? And 18.9% for students overall. So I don't know what the, like, the math is there, but you know for men it's way less than 46.3 yeah. or 31.3%. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, damn. Crazy. That's almost half. And we're talking about you know, college and this, the, the importance of that era in anybody's life and that transition and trying to figure out your career and your studies and all that for half of this population, almost half, to feel that this harassment has created a hostile work environment. Yeah. Like what impact is that having, not just on educational achievement and, um, and all that, but just like transitioning into adulthood and learning how to, learning who you are and how to function in a, in a, in a space with others, almost half. And then a third for almost a third for undergraduate women and, and going back to the assault one. I mean, we're talking over 25 percent of women are reporting that they've um, been sexually assaulted. I mean, that's one in four. You wouldn't drive your car out of your own driveway if you knew that one out of four tires is going to be punctured on your way to work. Like yeah. just hard stop. Yet we're sending our young girls um, off to college campuses where one in four of them are gonna be assaulted, over, or almost a third are gonna be harassed, and our transgender, queer, non-binary students, nearly half of them are gonna report their feeling a level of harassment that creates a, a hostile work environment. I mean, this is crisis level, this is crisis level, but I think having heard so much about this Me Too movement, I think folks, many folks out there are just sort of like at the point where it all just blurs together in their head in that sense of like a crisis kind of just like fades into the background, almost like um, how people discuss hearing about Trump all day, every day, and eventually like this crisis, it's, it should be, each individual thing should be crisis level, yet it's just part of the ongoing things that you just hear and it becomes almost like white noise. Um, so I wonder if that has anything to do with this fact that this study came out and I didn't hear a lot about it, period. I didn't hear a lot about it. I mean, so many families across the country have um, young girls that they send off to college and one in four are being assaulted, I, I would think that's crisis level. Like, Yeah, I, so I don't disagree with what you're saying. I think, though, part of what it makes me think about is even in our discussion, and we're obviously two men having yep. this discussion, right? But even in our discussion, we're talking about the crisis as, like, we're sending our daughters out to be victimized, uh -huh. which is certainly terrifying as someone who's not a parent yet right. the idea is terrifying but we're still framing the discussion as the about the, the girls daughters, and yeah. the women rather than how terrifying is it 
that and we don't have the data about like what percentage of young men are, are perpetrating yeah. sexual assaults yeah. but like how terrifying is it that i might be raising a sexual assaulter yeah. right uh, and what am i doing yeah uh, what are we doing to have created conditions where so many of the young men that we rear and raise and you know love wind up behaving in this way towards uh, towards the women and uh, yeah. trans and genderqueer and non-binary folks around them, right? Yeah. And like uh, maybe until we f- we frame, you know, which is not to say that like the the intense burden that women are carrying in mm-hmm. this horrible set of data is not to be outraged about. Right. But I wonder, particularly as men, if part of what we need to do is flip that coin and say like how bad are we doing at raising our sons that we're raising so many of them who are winding up being freaking Harvey Weinstein's yeah, right and yeah. like uh you know we need uh this this means a lot of the stuff that we're doing is not only not working but is harming them to the point that they are then harming others around them right, right? and so these these kind of um puritanical debates about whether we should talk about consent or not or whether we should uh you know uh talk about gender roles or these like this kind of stuff i almost feel like we're just we're past these ridiculous prudish debates we have a crisis on our hands and the crisis is the percentage of men who are physically harming and emotionally harming the people around them you're right and um you know, that reminds me of a video I saw floating around Twitter. I guess it went viral, whatever viral means at this point. It's got 1.1 million views, so I guess that for sure fits the definition of viral. But anyway, it's a video of um, frat members, uh, apparently at UCLA, although um, some of the comments say it was actually Berkeley, but looks like most are saying it was uh, Delta Sig at UCLA, um, where a frat member is outside of the frat party basically reading partygoers a message about consent before allowing them into the party. So the video is basically celebrating the fact that um, these frat members are making sure that everybody entering the party, every young man entering the party, um, has been read sort of their mission statement about consent and about alcohol and um, not taking advantage of a situation and, um, and all that. So which maybe is a sign that, you know, there are, even though as, as bad as these numbers look, there are folks in college, young folks in college doing things that would have never, this would have never happened like in the 90s, somebody outside a frat party basically before letting you in, you know, telling you and reminding you uh, about consent that would have never happened happened back in the day. So maybe that's a, a sign of hope. But then of course, it's just like, is this just talk or is, you know, is this just to get some clout on the internet or what? But I, I saw it as being like, a nice little sign that there uh, are folks out there. Certainly you know. can't hurt, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think we have as men raising boys, and that's not to say that you know mothers and women don't don't have a really important equation, uh, a role to play in this equation as well. But I think the the trends are just so clear and obvious right. that as men we are not teaching our boys how to behave in non-predatory ways towards women primarily um, and towards gender non-conforming folks. And uh, until we confront that directly, right, like the the kinds of machismo and 
uh, you know, sexist behavior, conversation, objectification of women, until we confront that stuff directly, model different behavior for them, right? Talk about these things with the same kind of outrage that we talk about racism and other bad things in the world, right? Uh, I, I don't know if we're going to move the needle on this. Um, yeah. You know, like this, it's not that hard to go through the world and not rape someone. Yeah. Like, it's really not difficult. <laughs> like, I, yeah. Yeah. I, I can attest. <laughs> it has not been a, a, a challenge in my life <laughs> to go around not raping people. It's, like, it's, it's really not that hard. You yeah, know? it's actually... And, it's actually very, it's pretty very easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm almost 40 years old. Never yeah. once felt uh, constrained by right. by the fact that I haven't been able to rape. Yeah, right? like we we need a different definition of manhood and masculinity here. I think. Yeah, yeah. All right. So um, that was a story that didn't make it into our most recent episodes. Do now, but we definitely want to take a moment during our passing period to uh, share that with y'all and discuss where where we're at in, in this crisis but of course our last our most previous full episode we spoke about favorite teachers and we know a lot of you listening are currently favorite teachers of some student or um, some former students who are who are out there and actually my nephew um, brought up that the teacher i spoke about in that story uh, mr murray um, that's not the teacher that i named when having that conversation with my nephew um, because I had a history teacher that I always had referred to as my favorite teacher. And my nephew ended up having that teacher years later. So it was like a real exciting thing. Like, hey, uh, you, you know, guess who my history teacher is? It's the guy that used to, uh, used to always talk about this and that. So my nephew pointed out that my discussion on our show wasn't about the teacher that he had, that he understood to be mm. my favorite. And I want to, I guess, address that a little bit just because the the teacher that I had always thought about or, or in my head was like my favorite teacher was was definitely for his pedagogy and his class being exciting and it's what made me love history and he was very dynamic and funny and everybody loved his class everybody fought over who gets to sit in the front even the kids that you know weren't passing any class but in his class they want to be in the front but as I get older and as I think about my career in education and my you know why I'm in it and and why I do what I do I've had some thoughts about my experiences in that class um, that make me sort of just think about him in a slightly different light. He's still an awesome educator, super wonderful. I don't know. He might be a listener of our show, so um, he might be hearing this, but um, I remember I had him in middle school. Then um, we temporarily moved to the suburbs for high school. Uh, my mom rented a house out there and we went to the brand new suburb in high school and he had moved there to teach. So I had him middle school and high school. And then after I graduated, um, our district continued to expand in an even more suburban high school, deeper into the suburbs, deeper into upper middle class um, was built, and he moved there. And I was recently talking to uh, one of my buddies from high school about how, like, as each school moved, it was further and further from the black and brown kids, further and further from the hood that we grew up in. And just we really questioned, like, whether or not he intentionally was doing that, mm -hmm. getting away from the more marginalized community where we grew up in more often to suburbia where he ended up. And um, so there's that. And then I was reflecting on being a seventh grader in his class. I remember I wrote an essay about Islam and I put a lot of work into that essay. One of my best, best works that year. And I remember, um, I don't know how many comments there were, but the only comment I remember, and it might be the only comment, was at the top of the paper in red ink, 
that I need to not copy so much out of the book. And I did not copy. I like since like for sure, those were my words. Mm. And I just think about the, I don't know. I just, I guess I'm reconsidering. I loved everything about his class, but now that I'm much more mature in my thinking about education and teaching and learning and all that, I don't know. I just feel like the Mr. Murray, who I did shout out on the episode, really reached out to me and really lifted me up when I needed it. And the other teacher that I always credit for being my favorite, I can't say I felt the same way. Mm. And in, in that context, like I just don't really consider him my favorite anymore. That kind of sounds sad to say. <laughs> you need to get but that yeah, off man. your chest. I had to get that off my chest, yeah. man. So my favorite isn't my favorite for his, his pedagogy because I don't remember his lessons very much, but I remember my previous favorite's lessons a lot. I mean, he could have written History Alive curriculum that yeah. we discussed uh, previously. Um, but yeah, man, so. It, it is funny being an educator and then reflecting back on your teachers. And I would imagine yeah. people in other professions maybe, you know, um, doctors think about their pediatrician or something yeah. like, oh, that person was a mess. You yeah, know? exactly, exactly. But, uh, but sometimes I do think back because I, I had a teacher who, um, I, I don't think I ever said this person was my favorite teacher, right. but they taught a subject that I loved and was deeply passionate about and had a huge impact on my like whole academic trajectory. Right. Um, who was, when I look back, I'm like, was a really poor teacher mm. in terms of pedagogy yeah. right and, and actual like craft in the classroom like we did a ton of copying from books we did a lot of like listening to read alouds and half the yeah. class didn't listen to it. i was engrossed right <laughs> um we watched Nerd. a lot of movies they were good movies right they were like documentaries right. and stuff uh eyes on the prize and things like that yeah that, like you just you learn so much but like they're lazy moves as far as the teacher yeah. is concerned and uh so I wrestled with that, too, that like um, sometimes a person can have a big impact on you, even if later you realize like, oh, they weren't actually that good. Yeah, but like, yeah. you know, in the moment they gave me something that I needed. Right. Like, yeah, I loved that content. And so that w it was what I needed. Right? Yeah, um, yeah. Even though I look back and I'm like, wow, there was like half of that class was like totally disengaged. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. Huh. All right. All right, folks, before we um, head out of here, I do want to just briefly share um, that this week in my government classes, um, we're continuing on with the project that we started with UCLA Center X last year, which is um, an actual research project that I'm super excited about. So anybody that's listening to this, that's a um, social science teacher. Um, follow me on Twitter. I, I'll, I'll be tweeting about the projects that my students are doing, but essentially they're identifying problems in their own community and conducting original research out there using uh, some mis mixed methods. Um, and they are developing action plans. And last year we presented these at a youth summit in, um, at UCLA. Um, John Rogers, uh, Professor John Rogers, um, coordinated those efforts uh, along with uh, Emmy, Emma, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess up her last Apollo. name. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so this year that same <laughs> summit isn't happening. But it, but. I'm going to go with your. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, um, so anyway, so excited about that. So that's what I got going on in the classroom um, this week. Also heading up to Oakland. I think you were in Oakland two weeks ago-ish. Yeah. Roughly. So I'll be um, heading up to uh, Ed Trust West and um, working as a member of their uh, educator advisory Um committee, which is uh, really cool because there's some other dope educators from around the state who are part of that committee. So looking forward to that. But of course, we have a uh, full episode on its way for you. And we will be talking about low points 
low points in teachers' careers. Mm. I could say I feel like I'm at a high, at a high point with um, all that I'm involved in, and, and I, I could only venture to guess that you're feeling like you are are really at a high point in your career when you look back at the 16 years of oh, yeah. work you've done and, and what you continue to do and, and all of that. So that should be an interesting discussion. Yeah, I, I feel more fortunate than I have ever felt, I think, professionally right now. And uh, feel like this, my, my move to Los Angeles uh, has been fantastic professionally. Uh, my job, nice. my consulting practice, the show with you, uh, it's been great. So... Um, but California's full, people. No more. <laughs> if you're listening to this, enjoy us from afar. Uh, unless, housing, you, unless you want to come build affordable housing. Then unless we'll, you want to we'll do that. You. Yes, yeah, indeed. Yeah. Awesome. Um, all right, folks. Thank you for t uh, listening into our passing period, which, again, is a podcast exclusive. Check out our full AOTA episodes, either on our YouTube channel or on this same podcast channel. Um, our next full episode is due out in about a week. So look for that. All right. We'll check you next time.